0: Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. We're at the end of a decade. That doesn't happen every day. I was gonna do kind of a New Year's retrospective type of thing like I did last year. Well, technically the beginning of this year. But honestly, I think... Since it's such a momentous occasion, going into the, the 20s, the roaring 20s all over again, it might be better to just kind of look back at the decade as a whole. Not really for a lot of personal things that I am happy and sad with, like anyone else, but really just for the for the video game aspect, because that's the point of the podcast, why am I going to tell you about graduating college and all that? I'm just going to look back. I have a list of all, or at least most, of the video games I've uh, played throughout the decade. Not all of them were released in this decade. It's really just my experiences, not really, here's the hot new releases of 2012, or anything like that. It's... A little convenient for me, because I started college in 2011, and not sure why I did it, but I started keeping a list of all the games I'd played, and I kept that list going even after college, and then it occurred to me that I only really need to remember one and a half years worth of games, and a lot of these are games I still have, and I keep them in order on my shelf, chronologically. I might have a problem. But the point is, I have a pretty reliable list of everything I've played throughout the decade. So, just gonna go down the list, not gonna talk about every game. That'd be stupid. In fact, I'm not even gonna talk about every game on this abridged list that I've set up for myself. I'm just gonna talk about the different highlight games and maybe some memories associated with them. We're gonna start with 2010, I think technically the first game I played this year might have been New Super Mario Bros. Wii when it was still new. I, I I think it was more of a 2009 game, but just just think about how influential this was for the Mario series. This was when the Koopa Kids were finally brought back, and now now we're kind of sick of them. <laughs> it's crazy. I also played Pokemon, Mystery Dungeon, Explorers of Sky. I actually played it again the following year. I really want to play that game again. I've, I have started and ended college without really giving that game another look-see. I want to see how much it holds up because I didn't really like the following games as much. We're going to get to more vivid memories as we get more recent, I'm sure of it. But uh, for my birthday that year, I got Super Mario Galaxy 2, and I talked about that game at length just two or three podcasts ago, so just go back to that, I suppose. Then on Christmas that year, I got two games for the Wii. I got Kirby's Epic Yarn and Sonic Colors, and I always associate those two games with each other because of that. Sonic Colors in particular is a Christmas game to me, because both times I've played it were on and around Christmas. It was also my first real Sonic game. Before that, all I'd played was the Sonic Chronicles RPG, and no one really liked that game. (laughs) Then we get to 2011. Didn't really start keeping track of the games until college started, but, uh... Let's see. really got into the entire Okami series around that time. I didn't... I have yet to actually finish playing Okami itself. But I, I remember Chugga Conroy did a Let's Play of the game, and it got me to buy Okami Den. I spent the entire senior prom that year just penny-pinching, making sure I still had enough money... To the point where someone paid me to do a cartwheel or something, and they'd give me $10 if I could do a cartwheel right there in the middle of the prom, and I'm like, sure, why not? Later, someone was telling me, like, hey, Alex, you know that guy was just trying to humiliate you, right? I was like, I don't know, I got $10 out of it. And if I could be completely honest, uh, I think I did a pretty alright cartwheel, so uh, get wrecked. Pokemon Black also came out that year, and I got that as I'm playing through Pokemon Shield right now at the time of recording this. Uh, Pokemon Black, to this day, is among my favorites in the series. The the entire Gen 5, really. Uh, Sun and Moon kind of give it some competition. I think it got diluted a bit with Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon falling flat for me. But... Black, black and white, they still hold up in my opinion. I, it's the first time I've actually wanted to replay a Pokemon game. And, uh Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for 3DS. My first 3DS game. I bought one during the first semester of college, so in a way, that game will always remind me of the beginning of something. The beginning of college, the beginning of whatever you want it to be. Of the, well, I guess we're up to six now, six 3D Zelda games, that was the first one I'd ever beaten, the 3DS version of Ocarina of Time. Growing up, I was really bad at actually playing and finishing games. It was mostly just me watching my dad and my brother play them. College is when I really started actually playing more games. Well, high school and college, especially college. And, uh, I remember, toward the end of high school, I actually... Okay, so I've done some episodes on Kingdom Hearts, so you can probably gather that I am a fan of the series. There was a time when I hated Kingdom Hearts. Like, I liked it at first, but then I just got tired of everything, especially because I had some classmates who were just way too obsessed with the series. But then I met uh, Henry in college... And he was into Kingdom Hearts. And I, I just kinda felt like giving it another chance, going back into it. And it was uh, it was pretty good. I got I caught up on the spin-off handheld games that I missed, like Days and Birth by Sleep. And uh yeah, thanks Henry for getting me back into Kingdom Hearts indirectly, but still. And 2012 hit. The World Ends With You i I kind of rushed over it in the episode with Philip, but I wanted to play the World Ends with you because I saw that the characters would be in the new Kingdom Hearts game, so Kingdom Hearts kind of led to the World Ends with you, and it didn't really hit me until a few years later just how meaningful this game really was. it's uh one of the games that I think defines a moment in my life that makes it sound way more important than it really is the the thing is 10 semesters of college there's one game that kind of just takes most of my attention for that entire stretch of time and for the very second semester of college that game was the world ends with you i just i talked about it with philip at length and it's just honestly such a, a good passionate game. It has a lot to say. I think even if it's a bit dated now, it still really holds up. I played Kirby's Return to Dreamland with Anthony that year. I've only ever played that game cooperatively, because the Runaway guys played it together, and I thought it was really neat. I still think that Return to Dreamland is probably the quintessential Kirby game, even if I wouldn't call it the best Kirby game. Definitely worth a look if you haven't given it a try and you don't know what any of the Kirby games are all about. It's not very often that Anthony and I played games together as the years went on. This was one of our last actual get-together games. He'd, He'd move out a couple years later. 2012 was also when I got into the Persona series for the first time, a series that a lot of my friends really, really adore. I I, I don't know what my friendships would be like if I didn't know anything about Persona. Well, 2012 and 2013 are when I really got into the No More Heroes series as well. I didn't really play the first one, but I watched a Let's Play of it. Then I watched a Let's Play of the second one, and I bought the second one. And Travis Touchdown is just a really admirable character to me, underneath a lot of his flaws. It's worth discussing in an entire separate podcast, because I really want to do kind of a character spotlight for Travis. Especially with Travis Strikes Again that came out Either earlier this year or late last year. There's also No More Heroes 3 on the horizon, aka one of the few highlights of that Game Awards show. Ugh. Yeah, No More Heroes kind of transitions us from 2012 to 13. It was my first M rated game. I was a bit sheltered growing up. My parents trusted us when we were teenagers. They didn't care if my little brother played Metal Gear because they knew that we weren't stupid. But even though I'd been familiar with Metal Gear and stuff, No More Heroes was kind of my first big boy game. And it's an experience that doesn't really ever leave you. It's something I can always remember. Then I would go on to play Mad World, which I also liked, and it was a very similar experience. I think I prefer the moment-to-moment gameplay of Mad World, along with the soundtrack and the commentary in the game, both the metaphysical commentary and the literal announcer commentary. But No More Heroes, I think, has more of a mass appeal and more memorable characters. But I, I do kind of conflate the games. At summer, I remember I played Banjo-Tooie for the first time, while well, the first real time, I I played around in the game as a kid, just messing around, but this was the first time I actually made an effort to clear any of the Banjo games, and it got really difficult at some points, even with the cheat codes in place, and it's kind of funny because this was about six months after my brother had played Donkey Kong 64 again, so, he and I both just kind of went back to those old-school Rareware platformers, and they hurt us, but we like it. We're we're kind of masochistic for those Rareware games. Uh, then I played Fire Emblem Awakening on my 20th birthday. Like many people, it was my first Fire Emblem game. I talked about it a lot more in Bit 80. Uh, it's, it's it's always really interesting to play a new series for a first time when you know it's been around for a while and you're not even playing the first one in it. Uh, Awakening does a good job leaving people interested in what the rest of the series has to offer, I think. It's a good starting point. Uh, then, oh, not quite Christmas, but the day after Christmas that year... I got Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. That game, that defined the entire following semester of college. That was the game I'd keep going back to. That was the game I got Henry to play, and he got into it. I got Henry into a lot of things, now that I think about it. But Metal Gear Rising, I already did an episode with Henry, as a matter of fact. But uh, that game, I could just talk about it some more. It's just such a fun game. I I don't really consider myself a big player of action games, but whenever I do get my hands on one, and if I can get into it, it's a really good time. Mad World, this, and eventually the Bayonetta games. I, I guess plat- Platinum in general, even though Platinum didn't do No More Heroes. 2014 was when I played Persona 4 Golden for the PlayStation Vita. Uh, I'm I'm one of the 20 people who owns a PlayStation Vita. I did get some more use out of it. I played Disgaea 4, but now I think there's a Switch version, so that's even less of a reason to play on the PlayStation Vita. And you know what? Persona 4 Golden has seen some flack in recent years, especially from my friends. But I've heard other people say it too. I think it's probably a more common opinion than... One might think, but Persona 4 Golden kind of takes away from the experience for some people because of all the stuff it adds not really gelling with the rest of the game. It's an interesting discussion. I really do want to do a Persona 4 episode at some point, especially because uh, a lot of my friends like it a lot more than me though I think they've also calmed down on it over time. It's it's very interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> Half the reason of this episode is to also spitball different podcast episode ideas. But yeah, we're we're really getting into the 2010s now. I'm remembering a lot of these memories. Like the Persona 4 Golden, like uh, say say what you will. Uh, it's still Persona 4 at the core and it was still pretty awesome getting to experience that game, and staying up way too late trying to finish it. Played Punch-Out! for the Nintendo Wii. I did an episode on that recently, too, and I I don't know how much I said about it, but there's a certain satisfaction to seeing a Let's Play of a game, and then buying it yourself, and then doing it all yourself. That's one of my biggest arguments against spoiler culture. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong, I-, I don't like being spoiled on things a lot of the time, but th- there is still an entertainment value that can be had in seeing something and then doing it yourself, because there there is a difference between the two. It, there's just that visceral enjoyment of swinging the Wii Remote and, oh, I just punched King Hippo. Yeah, take that. Really good. And uh, it would I would be remiss if I did not mention Super Smash Bros. for 3DS and Wii U. It might be... Uh, how do I say this? It's not the weakest entry in the series, but... It feels like kind of, like, awkward teen years between Brawl and Ultimate, especially with how the Wii U ultimately flopped. (laughs) Ultimately. They really wanted it to be the next big Smash Brothers, and it was a big event. A lot of momentous things attached to it. Like Mega Man, Cloud, Ryu from Streets. All that stuff. A lot of really good, solid things. It's just... I I, I don't know. No real single-player modes. Multiplayer modes that people didn't really like. Bad menu design. Just... It, it was missing a, a spice to it. The Ultimate added with things like World of Light and the unique classic modes and all that stuff. <laughs> I guess in some ways... Smash Brothers 4 was kind of a a demo or a just a like a preview of what Ultimate would be. I I do remember just obsessively following the news of Smash Brothers 4 as it was coming out, those daily Meverse updates. It really took me back to my early years of high school, watching the Smash Brothers dojo updates for Brawl and all that stuff. It really took me back. It was also Kind of stressful in a lot of ways because I hadn't, I hadn't learned how to moderate myself in the forums. I, I got really heated, you know those heated gamer moments. Ooh, that's such a stupid term, but yeah, I I met some friends because of this game. Energy Man or Energy, I don't know what he likes to call himself these days. I, I still need to get him on the show at some point. We've been talking about it, but it's it just hasn't happened yet. As much as Super Smash Bros. 4 is kind of a blank spot in my memory where it's basically replaced with Ultimate, it is still worth looking back on this game, just remembering how much time I spent dedicated to following it. It, it, it was a really exciting game. I think that was the same summer that Kingdom Hearts 3 was finally released. Well, no. <laughs> it was definitely not released in 2013, No. When Smash Brothers Four was first revealed, that was the same summer that Kingdom Hearts Three was revealed, I think. And now Smash Brothers Ultimate released a month before Kingdom Hearts Three released. Um, I, I'm not even sure if I'm using all the right words anymore. All these memories from like five years ago are all blurring together. Then in 2015. Uh, oh, yeah, I kind of got into two thousand thirteen with the Smash Brothers reveal and stuff but that was supposed to be the two thousand fourteen discussion uh two thousand fifteen was when I finished playing Luigi's mansion Dark Moon. It's technically a Christmas present from the year before that, and Dark Moon always reminds me of a new beginning in life that was uh the beginning of Uh, 2015, 2014 was kind of a bad year for me, not my worst year, that would be later, but 2015 was a lot brighter in comparison for me, and I also started being more earnest with game critique and thinking back to my thoughts on games as I play them. I did a lot of impromptu game reviews on a forum I went to, and in a lot of ways, that was the primordial soup of this podcast. Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon being the first game I reviewed at the beginning of a new year, it felt like a new beginning, as I said, and for that reason, it has a bit of a special place in my heart. Probably... Probably gives me more of a sentimental attachment to that game than it would for the original Luigi's Mansion. But, uh, yeah, there it is. Sonic Lost World. So, uh, this doesn't come up in the podcast very much, but I'm a fan of the show Ruby, Rooster Teeth's homegrown anime. And I was really upset when Monty Ohm passed away so upset that I just really wanted to take my mind off things, because I I really respected him as a creator. I saw a lot of myself in him, or at least I saw the kind of person I wanted to be in him. So to just lose him, it was just really heartbreaking. I just wanted to play a new video game, throw myself into something, just take my mind off it, and I ended up playing Sonic Lost World which was my second Sonic game after Sonic Colors several years ago. And uh, I didn't like Sonic Lost World that much, but I admit it took my mind off things. I also played Sonic Generations right after, and that was much better. It actually felt like kind of a crash course on what all the different Sonic games were, or which ones were considered canon, or whatever you have it. So, a really Sonic-oriented semester, followed by playing Majora's Mask for the 3DS. It's really cool that they made that, because so many people wanted it after the Ocarina of Time remake. I remember I was part of Operation Moonfall. I signed the petition to get the remake made. I think it was revealed that Nintendo was going to do it anyway, get, get Gritzo to make Majora's Mask 3D, but... Part of me still likes to think that it was due to the public outcry, and uh, uh, you, you get a lot of people who say that the 3ds version is inferior, and I get it, but I I think it also evens things out with some improvements from the original version. Like A V G N, he just did an episode recently about Majora's Mask and. He didn't really like the game as much because of a lot of the outdated concepts that got fixed in the 3DS version, and he even acknowledged as much. So I feel like that can be an argument for playing the 3DS version over the original. It's just kind of a, well, pick your poison type of thing. It's, I I guess you could say there is no definitive Majora's Mask then, because, Both versions have one flaw or advantage over the other. It's kind of like a Chrono Trigger situation in some cases. But Majora's Mask is my favorite Zelda game. And Zelda is my second favorite series. So yeah, Majora's Mask really means a lot to me. I don't know if I even did the game justice when I talked about it last year. But it's a game that's really optimistic at its core, underneath a lot of the outward gloom and sorrow. It's a game that really resonates with me on, uh, I don't want to say a spiritual level, because that just sounds way too overblown, but like it, it really jives with me, I'll say that. That summer I played a lot of RPGs. I played Xenoblade, which I thought was pretty cool, but Then right after that, I played Valkyrie Profile, which is an old PlayStation 1 game, and I actually want to talk about that game at some point, too. That's a game that my brother and my dad and I have a lot of memories with, but surprisingly, we've never beaten the game. It it wouldn't be until 2015, I would be the one to beat Valkyrie Profile. It's kind of gratifying to know that that's how the story ends. But, yeah, it's a really interesting game. I don't want to talk about it too much more than that, because I want to do an entire episode of it. Uh, probably one of the oldest games I've played within the last decade. Well, at least based on which versions of games I played. Because I did play the PS1 original, not the PlayStation Portable version. Next game I played was Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door. It's my favorite game of all time. Not much more to say than that. I just played it because I really liked it. (laughs) I wanted a chance to talk about the game for reviews and stuff, so I played the game on purpose, just so I could talk about it. I think that does speak to a certain level of love I have for a game, because the, the reason I kept the list, or at least part of it, was so I could do some kind of rankings of which games I like the most, and I thought, oh, I want to put Paper Mario Thousand Year Door on there, I gotta make sure that gets a ranking, so I gotta play it now. That's the only time I really did that. Then there's uh, Undertale. Ooh, Undertale took the world by storm. There are good and bad things to say about Undertale. I've had my own ups and downs with Undertale. Ultimately, I do like the game. I think it is good. I think the hype is overblown. It's definitely not worthy of being gifted to the Pope. But (laughs) it is a good game, and I think Deltarune is coming along very nicely. I wish nothing but the best for Toby Fox and the people he works with. We move on to 2016, which was honestly my most prolific year in the entire decade. Like, I was on fire playing no fewer than two games a month. Some of them would even be four games in a month, though some of them were also kind of cheating based on how you want to count certain games. But, uh, let's see, I finally played Shovel Knight. Really good. Uh, Fire Emblem Fates. Uh, If you were there in the last episode... Um, My guest talked about how much he hated the game, or at least how much the game revolted him, and I've even said myself that I've had a lot of ups and downs with the game, and ultimately kind of down right now, but the game did have things that I liked about it, things I still like about it, and a lot of those things I liked were done even better in following games, so I wouldn't call it a waste by any means. Maybe a waste of money if you don't like it, but uh, creatively speaking. And I met a lot of people because of Fire Emblem Fates. A lot of people who aren't my friend anymore, but a lot of people who are still my friend. So, you get your good and your bad, and I think in the end it is important that I played this game and all the things that happened to me because I played it. Uh, No matter what you might think, and... Trust me, I get it. Uh, of the three versions, I feel like Birthright is probably my favorite. I think it tells the best story, even if it's not a particularly interesting story. It's really just kind of the least messy story. <laughs> I do like the concept, though, of a long lost child getting to reunite with their family and the angst and tragedy that comes from leaving another family behind, even though they still clearly love the family they left behind. They just have to grapple with emotions of revenge and justice and stuff. There was a lot of promise to that game. Not all of it was delivered, but the optimist in me still sees that promise, and I can't hate the game too much for it. Conquest also kind of reminds me of the end of college, because that was the third route that I played, and that was the last thing I played in college, so in a way that game also kind of marks the ending of a point in my life, There bit of a transitional period. In between Fire Emblem Fates playthroughs, though, I was also playing Chrono Trigger DS, because I just... Really wanted to play Chrono Trigger. I don't know why I wanted to play the DS version though. I I don't know, but it is more convenient at least than playing the Super Nintendo version, hooking it up, or playing the Steam version that I'd have to buy and then deal with all the weird, incompetent design philosophies they have going on there. Uh, kind of. It's kind of interesting. The very first year of college. I was there with one of my friends, Nathan, and he was playing Chrono Trigger, and I was just kind of watching him for a while. He was at the part where you're in Magus' castle. And then, like, four years later, near the very end of college, he's the one who sold me that copy of the game. That's the one I played. And I was there in Magus' castle, and he was sitting there watching me. Over the four years, four to five years of college, our roles had reversed. It's a lot... Less poetic than it sounds, but... It's nice. I like observations like that. Uh, let's see. I played uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess for Wii U. I kind of want a Switch version of the game to be made so that the Nintendo 64 can be the most recent console to lack a version of Twilight Princess. Uh... It was the last of the 3D Zeldas that I hadn't completed yet, before Breath of the Wild came out, anyway. It's a Zelda game that doesn't really reinvent the wheel, but the things it does do, it does them well, I think. Maybe it's on the easy side, sure, but apart from that, I think it's still a solid game underneath it all. I I played some more games. uh, Theater Rhythm, Final Fantasy, Curtain Call... Uh, the Wii U eShop versions of Zelda Minish Cap and Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga. I bought all of those with money from my new job. That was a a very fruitful time in my life. I just got out of college, and hey, I got a part-time job, all right. It's not a career, it's not a well-paying... Well, for what it is, it was well-paying, but... It wasn't using my degree or anything, but I liked it well enough, at the time. And, uh, yeah, just good moments. I noticed that I kind of have some up years, some down years. This year was pretty good. I hope to keep it going as long as I can. Then eventually, Pokemon Moon, which was probably my favorite Pokemon game at the time, and still is. I mentioned before that ultra Sun and Ultra Moon didn't really do as much for me, and uh no didn't I wouldn't say they're garbage or anything, but Moon and Sun definitely told a stronger story I think two thousand seventeen I played Persona Five while a lot of my friends love Persona three or Persona four, Persona Five is more my game I think i I got to kind of have my favorite Persona game. Got to have my new Persona experience, because I knew everything about Persona 4 before I even played it, and I knew everything about Persona 3 and still never actually played it. Persona 5, though, that was me going in blind. And, uh, I I, kind of don't like playing a Persona game too blindly, because then it just bugs me when I can't do all the social links. Still, Persona 5 game that really resonates with me in a lot of ways. I I can appreciate a good story of rebellion. I I like the aesthetics of the game, good music, very likable characters. Uh, It's also helped me to kind of become better friends with uh, some of the past guests on the show, Michael and Desiree, who we then proceeded to talk about the protagonist of the game fighting Shrek. But uh, yeah, Persona, even if it's a game that you might call the weakest of the new Persona games, I still think it has a lot of value. But there's going to be some... It's kind of become a series where there's a game for everyone, I think. And Persona 5's just going to get bigger and bigger. Joker is in Super Smash Bros. I will never get over that. Uh, Super Mario Galaxy. I played that game for almost the first time in an entire decade. I finally got back to that game. I, I I did beat it, but I just didn't really touch it since then, and I spent most of my time wondering if I liked the first one or the second one better. And uh, honestly, yes, Super Mario Galaxy 1 is my preferred game. It's just a lot. A lot of magic to it. A lot of the things that bugged me about Mario Galaxy 2 and its effects on the series afterward that I talked about... Galaxy lacked a lot of those problems, so there's that. It, it It's something I'd rather talk about on its own, even though I already did a Galaxy episode. Oh, that's also the thing, 2017 is when the podcast started, so now you're we're also getting into some of the games I've definitely already talked about. Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, though, that is not a game I talked about. It's kind of funny. I got that game for Christmas, the previous year, but I didn't really play it until January 1st, 2017. And I played it for a couple weeks, but then I kind of dropped it. And then I, I kept meaning to get back to the game, but I didn't. It wasn't until December, like the entire year later, I finally got back to Captain Toad and I beat the main campaign. I thought, oh, that's neat. This game kind of bookends my entire year. That's nice. And then I got a Nintendo Switch and Mario Odyssey for Christmas, and I just blasted through that game. No regrets. That's actually a thing, is whenever I get a new Mario game, I I play them way too fast. I I have to actually ration out my Mario playtime sessions, because I will go through a game in a single day or two days, if I'm able to. When I got Mario 3D World a couple of years before, I did all eight worlds that, that Christmas Eve night. Just, bam, done, played it. Uh, Odyssey, it took me, like, two days to play. the same for uh, Galaxy 2 way back then, so there's a precedent for it. Whenever they release Super Mario goes to the bank or something. That'll probably take me just two days to beat that one, too. Honorable mention of 2017 would be Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. You know, for as much as I say I don't like the game as much as other people do, I I still kind of have the urge to come back to it. I I actually sold my copy of the game, though, so I'd have to get the Switch version. (laughs) I don't know, I I, I still feel like I want to like that game more than I do. You know, this could be a Bayonetta situation, where I just take a couple years off, I give myself another chance with the game, and oh, I'm in love with it. Because that's what happened with Bayonetta before, or Bayonetta 2, but more on that later. Uh, Let's see, 2018, A Hat in Time, which... I kind of like more than Super Mario Odyssey, if that's a hot take. I don't know. I've heard some people say that. The next game is Ace Attorney 2, the second of the Phoenix Wright games. I was was there in a Discord call with a lot of friends, including a previous guest, Connor, and he played through the entire game. That was my first exposure to anything in the Ace Attorney series. It was interesting, to say the least. It's always really interesting, that that first exposure to a series. I talked about that before with Fire Emblem. Especially with something as continuous and as Ace Attorney. There's just all this lore and all these characters and stuff you get to familiarize yourself with now. It's like, oh boy, I get to learn who this is now. I get to learn who this is now. A lot of stuff like that. Next is Link's Awakening DX. I played that on the 3DS. I'd known about that game for a long time, I'd known the whole story of the game, but that was the first time I'd actually played the game, and it was... uh, I sound really lame saying this, but it was magical. It was a really unforgettable experience to play a, a classic Zelda for the first time, especially one that really just haunts you like Link's Awakening does. It's kind of funny that I get to play it all over again with the remake the following year, and I do think it's probably the definitive edition of the game, even if it doesn't have all the same features and some things got nerfed. It is really fateful, though, so if if you want a brand new experience, you might want to pass it. I don't know, but... I'm glad I got to play Link's Awakening twice in my life. Next game was Octopath Traveler, which I've talked about extensively, especially with Philip. Th- that was a defining game of my summer last year. Kind of like Fire Emblem Three Houses this year. That's just a game that me, Philip, and two of our other friends just got obsessed with. I, I wonder if this is just going to be like a summer tradition at this point. <laughs> And, of course, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. How could I not talk about that game? Uh, like this, I guess. I I don't really know what else to say about it. We all know everything there is to say about the game. Smash Bros. Ultimate, good. Characters, good. Sakurai, hard worker, He good. Spirit mode, questionable. (laughs) Yeah, there's that, I guess, uh. I like the World of Light. I know it's not for everyone, but I don't mind it so much. It's, it's good to do in kind of sessions, I think. Especially that whole Light Lock thing that Alpha Red popularized. I, I really want to try my own take on that. Except I'm not really good at Smash Brothers, so I'd have to change the rules a bit, but I'm really looking forward to stuff like that. Let's see, I'm recording this on the 19th. I wonder if by the time this airs, we'll know who the fifth character is. There's a little time capsule for us, I guess. For me. Um, That was 2018. Uh, Honorable mention, I got interested in the Dongan Rampa series. I I started to play a little bit of the second game, but then I got kind of bored with it. Oops. 2019, Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes. I hadn't really kept up with No More Heroes since the No More Heroes phase I had in 2012 and 13. Not that there was really any No More Heroes content to keep up on, but I remember when Travis Strikes Again was teased at that Switch presentation, and I was excited for it. I liked Travis. I wanted to see him come back, and it it was good. The game is... It's kind of tricky to recommend it, because it's just kind of a, a typical beat-em-up game. There's some cool gameplay mechanics, but I really like Travis Strikes Again for kind of an artistic merit more than anything. Uh, the Gaming Brits has a really good video, and uh, gun, I forgot who the other guy was, but I, I retweeted about his video, and he liked it at least two different people did like some essays that talk about how the game kind of represents Suda 51 himself and his journey as a game director and things like that. I think I think it's just a really nice look at everything. Kind of a nostalgic game even though it's brand new. It's it's more like it invites the player to just kind of look back on things, not really look back on the game itself. Just kind of think about maybe when was the last time they might have done a certain thing. I think it's a good stopgap between 2 and 3. I think No More Heroes 3 is going to rely on Travis Strikes Again for some continuity, so I hope I hope people don't get too confused with that. Uh, then I played the Bayonetta games, which I hinted at. So I didn't so much hint at that as I broadly stated it, but yeah. Bayonetta 1 and Bayonetta 2 for Switch. I- I've told this story before already, but back in 2016, I picked up Bayonetta 2, and I tried to play it, but I couldn't get into it. It was just... The the whole thing about Platinum Games is that the action and hype starts at, like, a 9 out of 10, and then the game ends at a 14 out of 10. So I wasn't really ready for that with Bayonetta 2. I needed to work my way up. I played Bayonetta 1, and that that had me ready to play Bayonetta 2. Now I love the series, and I want to play Bayonetta 3. It's just really nice. Like I said, I almost didn't get to enjoy the Bayonetta games. I I gave Bayonetta 2 away, but it, it just kept haunting me. I wanted to come back to it, I wanted to give it another chance. Then finally it was on the Switch, and I thought, well, okay, here it is, and it even comes with the first game. And I almost gave those games away too, because I hadn't gotten around to playing them yet, and I needed some extra money, because I didn't have a job at the time. That one job I had a few years ago, I'd already left there, and I I didn't have my current job yet. But uh, no, I stuck with it, and... Bayonetta is easily one of the defining games of my uh I'd say spring of this year. That was April, early May. Then of course Fire Emblem Three Houses, which I have talked about so much on the show and will continue to talk about in the future. Uh Star Fox 64 3D. Uh at the time of recording that episode with Anthony, I didn't play the game. I didn't play any version of Star Fox 64 for a meaningful amount of time, but then I got Star Fox 64 3D, and I I got to brain Andross on my, well, uh, I, d- I don't know how we define a first try, because I took a obligatory death on the train level so I could re- redo the switches, but I-, I didn't have to start from Corneria or anything, but... So yeah, I'll call it my first try. I beat Brain. I got to Brain Andros on the first try, and I even beat him in only three attempts. I had lives to spare at the end of the game with James McLeod leading me out of the tunnel. It it, it felt really good. I, I I call myself a fake gamer a lot, and uh, I I think I am less skilled than a lot of my friends, but I'm capable of accomplishing really cool things on occasion so that was that was a good moment i think I think, because of that playthrough and that first exposure star fox sixty four now it's more than just a meme game to me now it's also a meme game, but one that I can also feel proud of my time with it really good game and then uh well uh, we're kinda getting into right now uh. I beat Luigi's Mansion 3, and I intend to talk about that on my very next BitCast episode, because it will be the beginning of a new year, a new decade, and I I like to keep the idea of Luigi's Mansion as a beginning alive, so I'm going to talk about Luigi's Mansion 3 more in depth there. Also, uh, let's see, Kingdom Hearts 3 came out this year and talked about that a little bit. Really interested to see what they do with Remind, because it looks like it's directly addressing a lot of complaints. And, uh, right now, I'm playing Pokemon Shield. I just beat the 8th Gym, so I guess I'm on my way to the League, or what have you. Anything else that happens to me this year and decade will have to be uncharted territory. But, uh, I'd say it's pretty good decade i mean 10 entire years like that, how could it not be there's there's just so much time well, I mean, unless maybe you don't really play a lot of video games which, in which case sure but i play video games a lot especially like over the course of this decade like, going back to 2016 that was crazy that, i don't i don't know if i'll ever get to that level of consistency again but this was a good year i got into a lot of new series, I, I played a lot of games on my, uh, I, I don't know, how do you say gaming bucket list without sounding like a total dweeb? Because I did a lot for that. Uh, a lot of games to look forward to into the 20s? Lightning Round, very impromptu, top game of each different year. Uh, let's see, I, I, I guess my top game of 2010 would Probably be a uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon: Explorers of Sky. Uh two thousand eleven. Pokemon Black. Two thousand twelve. The World Ends with You. Two thousand thirteen. Um, well, uh, Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance. Uh, that, that that was towards the tail end, but eh, yeah, shush, shush. <laughs> uh, two thousand fourteen. Um, uh, Punch Out. Uh, 2015. Uh, Majora's Mask. Well, that <laughs> Paper Mario thousand year door, but also Majora's Mask. They they can kind of share it. Uh, 2016. Gonna say uh, Pokemon Moon or Chrono Trigger, either one. Uh, 2017. Uh, Persona Five. 2018. Uh, I, I I feel like Ultimate is kind of a cop out answer, so uh honorary mention of Smash Bros Ultimate but other than that uh Link's Awakening 2019 uh, hmm, 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 uh I, I kind of conflate the Bayonetta games so I'm going to say both of them this is, they're very cheesy very impromptu minimal thought involved top 10 games of the decade in chronological order of when I played them <laughs> Oh, that's the content you like to hear. We did it. The BitCast's very first top ten list. I actually wouldn't mind doing a more fleshed out top ten list at some other point, but uh, one thing at a time. I hope that 2020 is as good for me as 2019 was, and I hope it's as good as or at least better than your 2019 would be. I don't I don't know how your year has been, but uh if it was bad, I hope the next one is better. I I, I don't know why I would hope it would be worse. I don't I don't that, that that's mean. Why would I do that? Uh I don't know. I look forward to a Luigi's Mansion 3 discussion, I guess. I I really do intend on making that my next episode. So uh with that, yeah. See you all next year, next decade. Keep following the Bitcast on Twitter and on Podcast One's website and mobile app. And I'll see you on the other side. Happy New Year. Listen to Bitcast anytime on podcastone.com and on the Podcast One app.